I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Joining me today on the Ecology Academy podcast, I had the wonderful and enigmatic Susie Cross, who is Managing Director at EcoSulis. So, uh, yeah, good morning, Susie. Good morning. Good morning. Now, we've had a quick chat and I think it's best that you introduce yourself to the audience uh, because you're, I, say, I say enigma, a bit of an enigmatic and enigma figure. Uh, then I saw I've had, I've, had, I've had a slight problem trying to research a little bit about you. So, so Susie, tell, tell me a little bit about yourself. What do you, what do, you do with uh, EcoSulis? I guess the first point to make is that we shouldn't always rely on ChatGPT exactly. to do our research. Exactly. Um, secondly, so yeah, I'm Susie. Um, an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast um and my career to date with ecosilis for the last 20 ish years i joined um in an administrative capacity and slowly made my way up through the business um finally getting to managing director in 2020 um and very happy to be here i feel like it's part of my blood now almost like my third child <laughs> so you mentioned about 2020 there so Take us back then in terms of, I suppose, like a little bit about your career profile in terms of um, before you joined uh, EcoSilis then. So, um, um, yeah, let's run through because you've not had a, a, I say, a typical ecological um, career no. uh, at all. So let, let, let's run through how you became managing director at EcoSilis. So run back maybe to, I, well, I don't know, whatever, how far I want to take it back to, uh, to Susie. I guess it's, um, yeah, it's quite a, it's not a typical career and you know and i don't think necessarily that's a problem we although as i as we mentioned earlier sometimes you do kind of feel like an imposter so i didn't go to uni uh despite what chat gbt has yeah. offered um but had an, a career in admin and senior admin and then um in print for 11 years so completely unrelated and applied for the job with what was called conservation consultancy at the time in 2004 and at the time it was a family-owned business I was interviewed by the then um I think it was the operations manager or office manager or something who actually has turned out to be a great friend ever since um and she was looking to move further with her career so I needed somebody to come in and manage all the office management stuff and admin which I did and became company secretary not long after um EcoSulis has gone through George, before we go on to that, so sorry, Susie. So, whereabouts was that? So, in terms of uh, whereabouts in was it in the UK? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was in Bath. In Bath, okay. So we we were always a Bath-based company for many years, although worked nationally. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, so two thousand and five, we ran a competition internally to change the name from Conservation Consultancy to EcoSulis Limited. Um, the name came from the fact that we were based in Bath and Sulis was the uh, springs, natural Roman springs in Bath and Eco obviously for ecology. So we rebranded, renamed and moved forward. And then in 2007, had an employee buyout from the family owned business through management and became an employee owned cooperative, which we were for many, many years. Mm. Um, and yeah, there are complexities to running an employee-owned cooperative, um, but it was fantastic, and I think definitely right for us at the time. And we were still based in Bath at that time, although we'd sort of moved out of what was the family-owned business home and and got a bit bigger. So that was the journey at the sort of inception. And then, as for my own career, just I guess working within the business, expanding as I wanted to progress my career um became ops director in 2012 and then did that very nicely for a number of years and then Kane uh decided we had a conversation and we were thinking about our own careers and where we wanted those to go because I think in a small business you 
you know, if you're committed and you're not going to leave, you still want some sort of progression. And I, there is obviously a ceiling to how far that goes. Uh, he moved into CEO role. We had plans also to spin off another company, which he was going to also be CEO of. And I moved into the MD role. Right. Okay. So let, let's let's take it back a little bit here then. So in terms of, I say, that, that changeover in terms of the name from... Uh, yeah, um, the conservation consultancy to Ecosulis. So in terms of, um, I suppose, at that point, how many employees uh, were, were, were with the company? I think around 20. Around 20. So it's, it's still, you know, it's still a good medium-sized company then at that point. Yeah. yeah. We were at the point of the first recession in 2008, mm. we'd gotten up to 25. Right. Um, and at that point, we had to cut about just under a third of our workforce. And what sort of services were you providing at that point? We were largely ecology-based at that point. Yeah. So delivering um, a lot of uh, the full suite of ecological services and some habitat management, but they were largely secondary to the ecological services, um, mostly in and around the Southwest. Um, yeah, so that was the core business at the time. And obviously, lots of uh, you know, say ecologists within the company themselves, and you're brought in as operations manager. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of your responsibilities, I mean, how did that? I mean, first of all, why an ecological company to work for? And also, um, if I may ask a second question on that as well, um, I suppose, yeah, how did you? I suppose you know learn the ropes uh, of of what an ecological consul- I say consultancy, what ecological company um, you know performed. That's an interesting question, actually, and I think the only way to learn the ropes, especially if you haven't been trained as an ecologist, is just to get out there and see, watch people doing surveys. Yeah, so we were encouraged to do that. Even um, even junior administrators and people like that would go out on surveys to experience what it was like. So I think that was fundamental to to knowing and understanding also not only the work people do but the conditions they do it under and you and I touched on that survey season you know when you're working alongside ecologists that are doing unsociable hours um you know and are really tired and coming in and and having compensatory rest breaks and you know understanding the dynamic of survey season I think is really really important for for everyone in the business yeah, no, no, I t- totally agree. I think it's, it's something that's, and also to keep on top of as well, because, uh, you know, obviously you're a managing director, I'm a managing director. Uh, it, it, sometimes you can get, you know, you know, you lose, you can lose track of exactly what, uh, you know, your the, the wonderful our wonderful colleagues are doing. And I suppose it is actually going back and being on that, I suppose, to that analogy about being on the shop floor, isn't it really? Just, uh, you know, walking in their shoes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Um, okay. Yeah. So one thing I would just say, though, so when I joined and I still do have an absolute morbid fear of frogs and toads. Oh, my word. Which was I never released that information at interview. (laughs) It wasn't until after. And I still do. But obviously, never. It's never kind of come in the way of our work. And I'm absolutely I love um, Great Crested Newts, bizarrely, and find the way they, you know, make Mm -hmm. those little parcels for their eggs just fascinating. Do do you know what? it, it seems like a confession time, and I don't know why this is. I also <laughs> have a. I, you, I, I think I got over it now, but I also had a, a bit of a fear, phobia of frogs and toads as well. That is, oh my god! Spooky. I've never met, clearly met anyone who's the same as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can I can tell you stories about my. Literally, I mean, the worst one was I was a protected species officer, and um, going to site. And I had to call in a colleague because there was a frog on a doormat, and I had to get them to. The owner wasn't there, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't knock on the door because there was a frog on the on the, on the mat. Oh, I think I'm better now, but yeah. <laughs> Well, I'd be interested to know how yeah. you got over it because I would love to because I've had to have a frog door made for the back of my house so they uh, can't come onto my doorstep. Oh gosh, no, no I think it was it, it was through um, I don't know what they do it with exposure, them, like, basically exposure. Yeah, so I had to go out and just literally had to look at them for ages, and uh, you know, it, and then started to handle them. And it, it, I think it was the fear of handling them. Once I'd done that, I think I was okay. I think for me, and it is, it's the fact that. They're so well camouflaged because they're so um, nature has made such a good job of making, you know, they want to preserve them. Yeah. But you don't know they're there until they've sprung out. <clears throat> and that for me is, I think, what it is. Oh, yeah, it could be that. Anyway, we're going off topic slightly. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <Tangent>. it. 
Yeah, but I've made a note of that. Yeah, so that, that definitely wasn't in the, the biography, I must admit. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of the, okay, yes, yeah, so exposure to, you know, obviously the work that, that your ecologists do. And uh, so let, let's, let's take it a bit further now in terms of um, you're moving on from operations manager um, to managing director. So, I mean, uh, when, when was that? And sort of, um, it, was it something you were looking for within the company as well? Yes, definitely. I I mean, Kane and I run the business um, and dovetail each other's strengths and weaknesses quite nicely. And I would always really, really enjoy it when he would go on leave and I would be left running the ship. <laughs> um, so it was a natural progression, yeah. I think, for me. But I don't feel any job, you know, you can just walk into and think I'm going to do it straight away because there's always like a, you know, a foot in the other camp. For example, we haven't appointed an ops director to fill my old role. I still do some of those tasks and we've changed as a business and I don't think we don't necessarily need one anymore. We've we're fully remote, so we don't have premises that need managing and facilities and things like that. So um yeah, I think what we've we've instead probably are gonna end up needing is probably someone to manage the very complex IT needs that we have now we're fully remote. And when I say fully remote, I, we still have active site teams that are based locally where we have um, sites but all of our office based staff are remote right okay so i mean was that a decision that was that you you made and you and kane made together in terms of um, okay shifting from an office based scenario to yeah yeah remote work then yeah and, and, what, yeah. and what was the what was the as you say i mean i'm not sure there's more than one reason for the for the decision but um what were the sort of the key sort of points, what, what was um, the, the trigger in terms of um, moving to that um, sort of a business model? I suppose the, the, the largest trigger was definitely the pandemic mm -hmm. because we did it literally in the blink of an eye at the end of March 2020. Um, however, I think what organically happened prior to that, our actual work areas had become way more national and way less focused in the southwest. So our big barn that we were renting in um, Bath from the Duchy of Cornwall had become quite empty. We'd sublet bits of it. There was only probably 10 of us in it at any one time. Um, and, you know, it was a it was a large footprint for a company to have that didn't really need that. Um, so I think although the pandemic prompted it, we probably would have eventually moved into that type of model anyway. Okay, so I mean, it's interesting that because, as I say, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, we know quite a few different companies that have made a decision to go fully remote. And um, I was at a meeting yesterday, and uh, one of the companies that, that you know they employ, I mean, it wasn't anything relating to ecology or in the environmental field. They were just specialising in, I think it's um, you know, IT uh, resources, and they've got um, employees across the globe uh, really who also yeah. are remote and you know they're going about and say well I've, you know some of these people i've never even physically met you know we just recruited people and we've never actually physically met so in terms of how that works for the company and you know I mean, we'll go into a bit later because i know you do this internship but in terms of like i suppose new starters for instance what does your i suppose recruitment process and onboarding process look like so we've had to really revise that um, because I, I think one of the key areas to focus on is young people coming into the business and not being exposed to those cliche water cooler conversations um, or, you know, you're having a conversation across an office and you're automatically picking up on bits of info that people are just saying and having conversations. So without those, we've had to design a really complex inter as induction programme. Um, and I don't think it it's not as good as sitting cheek by jowl with someone else but i think with the right um key people and having a buddy system we're doing the best we can um, and we are still managing to retain people and we work really hard with our employee engagement and employee feedback so that we can identify where we've got issues where people are feeling isolated and we actually have now sprung up some small offices around mm -hmm. the uk so we've got one in bristol that people can go and work in so they can actually start adopting a hybrid working model if fully working from home doesn't work for them um we've got another one uh up in buckinghamshire we've got space in london which is our head office now um and just various places where people can meet up and i think especially with new people coming in depending on the role it's really really helpful for them to have some face-to-face -face contact 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's. Uh, I mean, I mean, every business is different. Every sector is different, and uh, I don't think there's one solution. Clearly, there's not one solution for all. You know, I mean, if we, you know, if we work for Elon Musk, I think you know we'd all be in an office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, likewise, you know, as I say, uh, the, the company I met with and, and yourselves, you know, fully remote. Well, you know, fully remote. So, you know, I think there's a there's no one size fits all approach. But I suppose from in terms of yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's, you mentioned about listening to the employees and um, um, in terms of what their their needs are, and I suppose it depends upon the services you provide. But what sort of um, mechanisms have you had to change then to put in place in terms of supporting those uh, new starters? So, um, as part of our development, we've brought, well, I've recruited an entire SLT senior leadership team, um, and we've been able to invest in a head of HR. So somebody whose sole role is to look after our people has been absolutely pivotal pivotal for us. Um, <clears throat> so she's designed a really great induction program. But alongside that, we were already running um, a system called Office Vibe, which collects um, feedback based on Maslow's hierarchy of need and the Gallup 12 questions of employee engagement. And it's not just about saying we are... 80% actively engaged in our workforce, which we are. Um, but it is about looking at the people who are not happy and being able to identify better communication is one of the ones that comes up a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a definitely a symptom of us being remote. Um, and we try really, really hard to, you know, work on that, address it and, and make it uh, give information in the way people like to digest it. So some people like email, some people like Teams, some people like video. Yeah. Um, some people like face-to-face -face meetings, company meetings. So it's a combination of all of those. We've just started doing a quarterly town hall meeting, we call it, which is a sort of update from the whole senior leadership team. So now we've got one. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's nice for them all to be able to tell what we're doing, what we're working on, what our strategic objectives are. And I suppose we've like, we, obviously you've got your new starters, new people coming into the company as well. This is, I suppose, for those who are coming into it brand new, they don't know any difference, you know. I mean, this is the model that's uh, this is the business model that, that you've been running, and uh, they're very, you know, they're, they're coming to it with open eyes. Uh, did it have to? Was it a transitionary period between the existing employees that had to go through that? Okay, you know, just before the pandemic, then they go, okay, we're we're in the office and now we're re fully remote. Um, have you noticed any differences between the two sets of, um, uh, say, groups, or is it um, all sort of um, it's all fine? No, I think definitely there were differences because I think you get used to working in a certain way. And uh, we've had a couple of people leave who it just didn't suit them to work remotely. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. You know, and I think we always like, we realise that people are going to leave and always want the people who go to have a positive experience and be able to look back and think, well, it was nice, but it didn't work for me then. So, um, but new people coming in, I think this is, like as you say, this is the model they're coming into. They know from interview that it's fully remote with, a, you know, occasional face-to-face -face if they want to. So I think having those expectations at the start makes it a lot easier. Great. Okay. Um, now, we talked about, uh, you know, obviously the, the company structure itself, but let's talk about uh, Ecosolis in general then. So tell us what what what, what you do. And yeah, what we you do well, because you've got a very good yeah, well, reputation in, in certain areas. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. so we've worked really hard mm. and recently rebranded, actually. So that's really helped us to define what we do. And, and we say that we're expert in nature-based solutions. Um, and we are very, very passionate about applying rewilding principles throughout all of our work. Um, so those are the sort of fundamentals. And we've set our, um, I think it's our 2030... 2030 goal or 2050 goal to rewild half the planet yes i um, saw that yeah yeah and obviously that's not just us rewilding it with spades and doing it ourselves and you know putting bison in and things like that but it's through influence and it's through the companies we spin off and the book that kane and paul wrote for example and the influence that's had so um as a sort of senior leadership team, we meet quarterly and annually. Well, I know you run the same system as us to look at our goals and our strategic objectives and actually hold ourselves accountable. And I think being able to sort of 
you know actually look at those and think yeah we can we can track our progress and we can see that we're on a trajectory to actually um and and if we're not you know we can make the, the relevant adjustments internally to make sure that we're still aligned and having everyone aligned with that is yeah. absolutely fundamental okay so yeah so this this is something that uh we, we talked about before wasn't it about uh, yeah. objectives and key results okrs yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we, we can we can still well, have a conversation rocks, after, uh, rocks <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> we can we we, we, we may have a conversation off air about that but, uh, <laughs> geek, yeah. geek out about uh, okrs and uh, and so forth yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, it, does, it definitely if you've got people aligned with your values and your mission mm, or whatever, mm. whatever you want to call it um there's definitely a marked change in the, the amount of progress you can make. You know, if you're having internal quarrels because somebody thinks you shouldn't be doing that or, um, you know, they're just they're just in it for the money, for example, because that's often not the case with values-led business, is it? You've got people who are so passionate about it. Obviously, they need to be paid and fairly, yeah. but their passion is to get behind your vision. And that's the biggest change, I think, for us is so when we recruit people, we're looking for people who match our values or who demonstrate that they've got similar values that, you know, you know, they get behind. Um, and I think it becomes very clear very quickly if you've got a, a new employee who somehow doesn't match those and so, then it becomes quite difficult. Yeah. So, so, so you use your values for recruitment and, yeah. and yes, as you say, that training development and, um, you know, ultimately holding people to account. Yeah, definitely. And that's through one to ones, through weekly meetings and through just when we when we meet up, sometimes we'll have sessions on our behaviours and what we expect and what we don't expect. But we get the staff to kind of feed into that to say, what do we think this core value means and how do we feel we demonstrate it? OK, and that really ties in nicely with um, I, I know I, you for the past couple of years, uh, maybe obviously a couple of years ago, you started an amazing journey in terms of looking into and examining, because you mentioned about your vision and values, uh, about um, becoming a B Corp. And so, yeah. Yeah, so congratulations on, on, on actually uh, you know being certified as a, a B Corp there. So let's, let's go back to that point. So how did you find out about the B Corp uh, uh, and also why take it forward? I actually can't remember where it started. I think Kane thinks we had a conversation about it. I have a menopause brain that re remembers very little from that point. But it was during the pandemic. Um, it was January. Maybe it was just before the pandemic, actually. But I remember being at home thinking, OK, we've got all those ISOs that are very tick boxy. You need to do them. You need to be compliant to be able to tender for works. That's fine. We've had them for years. You know, they don't really they don't inspire me personally mm -hmm. because they are very kind of binary um, accreditations. And I thought the B Corp thing sounds really interesting. So I thought I'd just do the online questionnaire and see how we score. Um, and we scored really, really well, because I think because we're values led and because we care about our workforce, we care about the environment, we care about health and safety, all of the things within the questionnaire, I think scored really highly. And then I remember getting to the end and it said, and now if you want to become accredited, it will cost you 1500 quid and I thought oh well that's a lot <laughs> should we be going for this I said to Kane yeah it's quite a lot but I feel like we should go you know because you can when you look at your whole suite of accreditations and how much they cost you to yeah. stay accredited work towards be audited every time it, it all adds up doesn't it yeah. and every new uh person you work for has another one that you should be a member of you know or to get onto their supply chain anyway we went for it and I thought, well, this will be great. You know, I just didn't realize how long it would take in the accreditation process. I think it was something like 164 days it took us. To, to complete, yeah, yeah. And it, was, it wasn't really anything much happening in that period. It was, you're in a verification queue and it's just going to take ages. And maybe it was the timing of us doing it. Because when did you guys do yours? Yeah, so um, we started looking. So I, yeah, again, I, I think I can remember when I found out about Vico, and it was actually I went to a trade show, an exhibition uh, down in London, and uh, met with. Well, I was looking around different stalls and found this one one stand which was selling, uh, you know, they, they were selling products. They were selling um, bee bricks, 
and um, so you know, I, 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 I'm looking at and these bat boxes, mm-hmm. and they looked slightly different. And I, thought, I inquired about them, and you know, we had a chat, and um, this was um, green and blue, so based in Cornwall, and um, I got chatting about oh, they had something about a B core on there, and, I, and, and this is 2018. So, so, so getting to your question, to the, yeah. the, the actual answer, 2018, and um, yeah, I think it just it, it just sparked a little bit because more of my one of my values is curiosity and I think that's the response to a little bit of a you know a little you know an element of curiosity within myself and, and found it a little bit more so in terms of your journey then so um you know you started the process was it very much okay you had that conversation with Kane but, but it was very much driven by yourself though uh, Susie I think yeah because I've been used to doing all of those kind of things I I know all the information because I created a lot of it because I've been here so long um but also there were there were legal bits. I think you'll be aware that you have to change your articles, you know, and as company secretary and the person who has the login for company's house, those sort of things were, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit easier for me to do. So I, I decided not to really even delegate any of it. I thought I'm just, because it was the pandemic and it was such a weird place to be, I thought this is a really cool project to do in the pandemic. Yeah. So I'm just going to do it. And I think also, uh, you know, Part of the reason was it was just at the time when Kane had published his book and I'd just become MD. And I w- it was around that time. And I thought, I want to have an achievement that I've managed to kind of push through myself as well, coming back to the imposter syndrome. Mm, mm. So it was just something. And I, even now, you know, at the moment, we're now looking at awards for this coming year because I'm always sort of thinking, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? So, yeah, that, that was definitely... Um, the driver behind the B Corp and it was such a cool you know cool accreditation to get um have you had to re-qualify yet yeah we recertified um last year yeah, yeah absolutely yeah so it's uh, was that a difficult process or not? um it it's it's changed yeah yeah so obviously when we i mean i'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll go through another change as well so obviously when we first certified you know as you say going through this questionnaire the, B, the, the bia uh, uh you know it took us a long time to do that um and then the recertification oh my word yeah oh they've changed they've changed the questions as well so it's like yeah. oh right we, we was again trying to find the information and some of the dem- obviously you have to demonstrate you can't just yeah. say oh yeah we're committed to um you know uh, reducing our carbon footprint by 50 percent by 2050 no okay that's those are just words tell yeah. me how you're going to do it you know what have you done so far you know and uh, yeah. that's what i like about it though mm. it's not just uh you can't just fa- you know faff through it and make it up and kind of wing it I can you no, do you not. need to prove no. that you're Putting your money where your mouth is. Yeah, and and I suppose I mean I, I'm interested in this. Then, so uh, my question to you here is about you mentioned about the binary aspect of the ISOs, and for I mean perhaps we'll explain what an ISO is. Uh, you know, so, so it's quality assurance and uh, is it uh, management of the environment as well? Was it, those are the two environmental? Uh, so we've got three, three. which is nine, yeah. fourteen, and forty-five thousand and one, which is quality, environment, and health and safety, and those are kind of like the holy trinity of things that. <laughs> you need when you're tendering Mm -hmm. um just i think it makes it a lot easier when you're tendering to be able to tick a box and say you've got it if you if you haven't got it then you just have to start uploading quality bits and pieces and various documentation whereas it's a lot easier to be able to just tick the box to say you've been ucas accredited by an external auditor actually that was something that i decided i would then add to my cv was to do an external qms auditor course because I actually am a bit of a geek and I like compliance. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really important to us that we are, again, even though it's a binary accreditation, if we say we're doing it here, we should be doing it here. Mm. And and it's one of my sort of passions to make sure that we maintain the quality. And that's been a real challenge, being remote. Yeah. Being able to, you know, see where people are kind of, especially when you've got a lot of new people coming in that, even though they've been trained in how to do certain review and approve procedures and processes, you know, you're not, you're not hearing, oh, there's a report going out and someone goes, oh, has that been reviewed? And you're like, you know, you're, it, sometimes things can just slip through. Mm-hmm. So that's been a big challenge being remote, I think. But I, even though, yes, they are binary, they're, they're really important to us as a business. Okay, so going through for the ISO accreditations then, it was, yes, I mean, there was a reason behind it as in terms, well, 
there's a reason behind everything, most things. So, you know, there's a reason that, you, you know, it'll help you with your tender, uh, you know, tender process, you know, when, you know, winning work. So it's, 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 it's sort of aimed towards that. So w- w- why, why go for certification with B Corp? Because none of those qualifications really cover any of the really, really important elements, like how you treat your workforce, how you're uh, demonstrating what you're doing with the environment and being able to positively impact that. So none of them really, really hit those marks. And I think B Corp absolutely does. And I, as I said, I don't think it's easy to fudge it. So it, it was very, very meaningful accreditation. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think I think the process for us was, uh, you know, similar to, to to your own in terms of uh, there was no real need for us. You know, there's no box right. to, on a, on a tent to say are you a B Corp. There's nothing nope. there at all. So it's yeah. a purely voluntary basis, isn't it? And and yeah. I, I, you're quite passionate about it now as well. You know, obviously you got there, and and, and now you you're sort of an advocate for for B Corp. So I mean, I mean, what yeah. would you say to others who are considering going to to, to um, going for a B Corp um, certification? Well, I would process? say my first piece of advice is just take the the um, B impact assessment as you've done um it it's just a real even if you don't go forward and pay the money and do the end of the next bit it gives you a measure of how you're you know measuring up against the things you should really be doing as a business i think um and i don't you know i think one of the things i wish there was more of with b corp it's still if you if you go on to the i don't know if you're a member of beehive mm-hmm, yeah to that ever there's a lot of things that go on in america because it started there and there's many many more companies that are b corp over there over here there's less and it would be nice to get involved in some more things you know i don't i think there's some stuff that went on in bristol recently actually with b corp but to get behind some of their initiatives i think would be really good um and that's the bit that i found a bit missing when when looking i thought right we've done the qualification now let's get behind some initiatives let's do some stuff to demonstrate that we're we're really active um and i guess you know balancing that with real life business as well (laughs) there's a limit to one's time isn't there 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 is there is but you know i say you know you've gone for that process in terms of you know you mentioned about uh you know the different elements there's the governance there's the you know the you know workers the environment community and clients as well because you know they you know we have to take obviously we do take our responsibility you know who do we work for why do we work for them are there people we will not work for i think it asks it's i think it really challenges you um to engage with your clients as well as your workforce in terms of making a difference i mean have you found that i mean what what, what differences has there been you know have you seen or made um since becoming a b corp think i'm not sure at the moment that we have because i don't think we were doing anything particularly different before and i think we're still quite young in the journey um i think one of the things one of the things i'm really passionate about is making sure that the company are behind it and all the employees are recognized that this is something that we as a business are part of and want them to be proud of as well so i think if i you know if i could set aside some time when I my senior leadership team are fully they're onboarded now and, and soon there's going to be more time for me to sort of look at things that I want to do with the business that are kind of the value add things mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. make working for Ecosulis, you know, one of the things we're looking to become as an employer of choice. So all of the bits that we do, including being B Corp and how we treat our workers and all of that will feed into that. And I think when you first join a company, and especially if you've never heard of it, a lot of people have never heard of B Corp, have they? No, that's very true. Yeah. So I want to make it meaningful for people within the business, not just it's like a something we put on the website. Yeah, yeah. I, I think how it's helped us really, you know, it's from the from a client's point of view. Uh, you know, obviously suppliers, we know we've changed suppliers based upon you know making making a positive difference there. So we know we've looked at things there. But in terms of our um, our clients, I think um, yeah, it's engaging with them to say okay, you know. As you say, hardly have any ever heard of a B Corp before. So it's having that conversation about what, why we've gone, you know, why we went for the accreditation, uh, the certification, um, our, our journey for it, and and also I think it, it attracts a certain client base to us as well. I think we can have those. It gives us an inroad and a bit of an engagement tool, I suppose, really to open those discussions and then go, oh right, you know, and I think you know it sparks their interest. And I think I, mean, I think we've certainly noticed a little bit of a change in in some of our client base uh sort of clients coming forward to us um at that i go uh, well we they don't say explicitly oh we recognize you're a b corp they don't say that but they'll just say uh we know you you know you take 
a different approach um, to to work than others and that's what we like you know because it reflects it mirrors what they either do or want to do I think um going back to my comment about there not being much around for in the southwest or you know with B Corp maybe we should start something <laughs> oh well you hit it you heard it here first folks heard it here <laughs> first, yeah. <laughs> yeah no it's very true yeah, yeah it's really, if it's nothing nothing's nothing's there you, you build it yourself that very true there you yeah. Yeah. yeah again another conversation to take away from this then Susie so Definitely. Uh, um let, let, um we talk yeah so the B Corp part is also it's every clients but also about the workers your workforce and um you know, you've also set up, which I think is an amazing, absolutely inspirational part, which is um, your um, uh, rewilding internships as well. So perhaps you could spend a little bit of time talking about, um, I mean, how long that's been going for, what it's about, and are you actively recruiting anyone at the moment? So to start at the end of that question, we are actively recruiting at the moment for five interns. Um, and I've spoken to some of our interns in preparation for the podcast today. Um, and got some feedback on what they wish they'd known before they applied. Um, and they none of them regret it, obviously, spoiler alert. Um, but um, one of our interns um, who, so we we badged them as rewilding interns, but they were going to always do bits and pieces within the whole business. So they might, one of them started out as a bid intern working on rewilding quotes and things like that. But prior to that, she'd had a career in various other sectors and had said that, one of the things she liked about our internship was there wasn't a really complex um, recruitment process. There wasn't a huge application form. Because I think when you're, you're not going to be applying for one in internship, are you? you're probably going to be applying for five or six. And it's exhausting doing an application <laughs> six times. So she was saying that she really valued the process and also the fact that her softer skills that, you know, so outside of uni and outside being a graduate, some of the things she'd done whilst working at uni, for example, had really helped her in her role with us. Um, and I think, so we've had a number of interns who joined on the programme and who are doing jobs, for example, now like a nature recovery project officer, nature fintech developer, bid coordinator, ecosystem analyst and rewilding services lead. So we've taken them in on their one year internship and then been able to offer them employment permanently within the business. And that's what we aim to do. I mean, sometimes we can't because we don't have the correct opening for that person, in which case we'll help them with their CV, we'll utilize our networks, and we'll enable them to go forward and, and actually find a career with another consultancy. And I suppose I go right to the start, the very heart of, you know, why set up these internships? I mean, why, why is it something that um, EcoSilis uh, have, you know, uh, implemented, you know, rather than just going, you know what, we just recruit at, a, and, at an, an assistant level. Why internships in, in, uh, in particular? I think we identified that one of our, one of the things that was really important to us was to grow our own talent and to grow future talent for the industry generally. Um, and there are kind of passions and wishes beyond it just being an internship. So we'd like it to be bigger. Um, but this is how we're starting it at the moment. And it takes quite a lot of um, internal resource to manage it. Um, you know, there's because we want to make sure they're looked after properly and that they're, they're getting a repeatable program that we are able to kind of show what their learning outcomes are from. So it's not just bring them in, pay them a minimum wage, and get really cheap labor because that's definitely not what we're about but we've got a lot of internal knowledge in the business we've got phd people we've just set up an innovation team so you know there's a lot to be learned within the the company really and i think that's really important and valuable for people who are just coming out of uni and it gives them a very broad spectrum of you know you might work so we've got somebody at the moment who's doing what we're calling a business internship and she is um uh, an environmental graduate but she's doing three months researching in nature recovery on, on a rewilding program. She's going to be doing three months in marketing. So she's going to get an idea of what it's like within other sectors of the business as yeah. well. Mm -hmm. There'll be three months in our habitats department. So she might be a bit more hands-on then, might get out on, you know, spades in the ground, boots on the ground. And, um, and then three months probably within the ops team yet to be confirmed but so that particular internship is is going to be sort of multifunctional you know i think it's absolutely great and you picked up you said mentioned one word which i think in one way uh, epitomizes oh you know it, it just 
it's the one word I would describe ecosurus, and that's innovative because you seem to be at the at the, you know at the forefront, at the cutting edge, or so. That's why you know the science we're in at the moment, you know, because of the times we're you know we're living in the, and the emergency we found found ourselves in terms of biodiversity loss and the and the, and, the, and the climate crisis here. But you know, so you've obviously identified, you know, spotted that actually these things need addressing. You're doing something about it, and you're creating new green jobs. And I think that's something I really, really admire about um, EcoSolis is, is this forward-thinking approach. And and I suppose I mean I mean I'm probably leading the question here, but that that's obviously down to the senior management team. Yeah, definitely. And and Kane, whilst he doesn't work so actively in EcoSolis you know, day to day now because he's CEO and he's he's managing Credit Nature, our other business as well. Um, a lot of these ideas do generate from him. He's a great innovative thinker, probably the original one for us. So, um, but now we've got a team to get behind those ideas. We're able to implement them much, much more effectively. That's it. And um, in terms of, I say, you develop these internships, and I imagine also we obviously, you know, the you know the you know, regular employees within within the company as well. There's that aspect of like you know, growing your own, nurturing your own talent in terms of there, and in terms of career progression. Um, it, you know, is it, you mentioned, about, I mean, I think it's a wonderful example there of one particular role where they're not just doing one job, one particular role, like, uh, you know, like, you know, the operations side, they're actually getting involved with sales, marketing, you know, having, having a, a holistic view of the company itself. And it enables up, you know, I can see that it enables up sort of like a rather than a ladder style career it's just, it's, a, it's a lattice style career you know they're there so you know they That's could go into yeah, yeah they, they could go into many different roles within your company also isn't it really important though that you know somebody who comes into the business that with a huge passion for ecology or rewilding whatever it is knows that actually in a consultancy you're not getting just fed money from the government you have to earn it and you have to be profitable and some of those business operational things that we all know have to be done, mm. which aren't the super exciting things like marketing and operations and auditing for ISO and things, you know, it just, it gives them a taste of why those are important. So it shows them the much, much bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, I think absolutely so. And I think you need those different sort of um, characters within, uh, characters, <laughs> traits and behaviours and attitudes within the company themselves. You know, if you want, if you want, you know, you need someone who's extremely technical. You know, if you want, if you've got a job to do that needs focus, attention to detail, you want someone who has those particular skills there. Whereas if you want someone to inspire, to motivate someone, they could be, you know, the total opposite at the end of the spectrum. Maybe the obviously overlapping sort of traits there. And so you mentioned about um, one of your employees I think you know we're talking about the soft skills but yeah you know I, I think you know technical skills it you know technical skills you've got to have a passion for them and you can learn them but soft skills is something intrinsic within you is I, I think you know so I you, think so too and we um we do personality profiling actually for new people well everyone in the business because we find it really really interesting to observe how people interact together and what their motivators are and also so that we can ensure that they sit on in the right seat in the business. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not asking people who find it super uncomfortable to cross sell and do business development because we know it's not their strength. And we've been doing this for years um, and periodically we'll all get together and we have a guy that does it for us. He'll come in and he'll we'll have quite a fun afternoon talking about personalities because people like talking about themselves, don't they? And, um, you know, telling. So I know, for example, how to communicate best with Kane. I know because not just because I've known him so long, but because he's a certain personality type, I know that I'll get his attention quicker. If I say, can I grab a quick five minutes? If I said, can we sit down for six hours and discuss strategy? <laughs> He'd be running for the hills. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> it's really important. And I think yeah. you recognize that with, with clients as well. You, you pick up the phone to a certain client and you know that they don't want to talk about how their weekend was. They just need to get to the point really quickly. Yeah. I think it's understanding but, people, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, definitely. And that is a soft skill, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I recommend a great book. I, mean, I don't know if you've read it at all, but, um, you know, what's Surrounded by Idiots? I don't know if you've read that book at all. No, I haven't. Oh, my word. Yeah, well, that goes into the, the different profiles, you know. Uh, okay. And for anyone who's... We're going to lose a few people, I'm sure, uh, uh, <laughs> now. But, yeah, you know, whether they be red, you know, red, oh, green, yellow, yeah. blue people type thing. Blue people are very technical. Green people are extremely caring. Red people seem to be very authoritative and, and slightly aggressive. And, and your you, you yellow people are very extrovert, you know. And clearly, 
no one's just one pure type. No. But it's, 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 it's I think the book basically the the, the it is like okay, what what why can't I interact with this person? This person never gets me, and and yeah. So I think it's like it's, I think it's it's a good book to read. So surrounded by er, uh, idiots. Um, yeah. yeah. Are you willing to reveal your colour? Me, um, I, 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 well, yeah, uh, it's it is it's more towards um, I mean, greeny, yellow, and occasionally a bit of red <laughs> coming through. Um, I, I suppose the one that that I didn't mention there is the blue. Only if I have to get <laughs> my attention to detail. <laughs> Is that is your accountant blue? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So our accountants, uh, so those who are highly skilled, technically, you know, they, they tend to be more blue area uh, people, and uh, uh, I, I fall into the more let's say uh, middle ground. I suppose is yellow, but I'm not a high. I'm not an extrovert. High extrovert. You don't have to be an extrovert to be yellow, by the way. No. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, we've probably lost a few people. Let's bring them back again. In, <laughs> in in terms of your, I say your recruitment around there, the progression within the company for your yeah, um, yeah, your new team there. In terms of like career advice, because I, I think we're just we're coming towards the end of our conversation. I'm afraid, Susie, it's it's, it's gone by so quickly. Okay. But <laughs> but in terms of career advice that either you or or some of your colleagues may have um, you know put forward, what what what's would you pass on in terms of advice to um, someone looking or even think about advancing their career within the sort of the environmental sector? Uh, so when you're looking, I think it's really important that you find a company who does have values that match your own. And I think also at remembering an interview that you're interviewing the company as much as they're interviewing you because you want to see if they're a right fit for you because you're not going to be happy in a company that, it just doesn't fit their values are slightly off um so talking about the company's vision and ethos and their culture is really really important and also to have a chat around you know if they're if they're talking about their vision in two for example you know asking about how they plan to to get on that journey you know what are their long-term strategic goals which i know can seem quite scary when you're just at a junior level but i think it's important even if you're talking about expanding your career and going higher up you know you need to be you need to find out how you are going to be part of those goals as well because it's nice to feel that you're you know you're an intrinsic part of that journey um and also the different work streams that are available within that organization because you might join mm -hmm. going for a job that you think this is going to be the dream job for me and you get in it and you think this just isn't and it's, it's important to know what other opportunities there are within a business i think yeah yeah, no, I absolutely totally agree. I think it's uh, you know you 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 come from you apply for one job, but it's not necessarily the job you'll end with because okay. you know recruitment it's, it's it's challenging. And I mean, again, this meeting I went to yesterday, I mean, people were saying when they, I mean, you know, when I was a boy, when I was a boy, <laughs> literally, I had to plead for a job. And now it's the opposite. It's like, uh, what can you do? For, you know, why should I? Why should I work for you? <laughs> yeah, exactly, and um, I think that's actually. It's it's different, isn't it, for us who've been in the around for a long time? But yeah, it completely different landscape now for um, people coming into a new company. Um, but otherwise, I think yeah, you have to follow your dreams and and also recognise that you're probably not going to be doing the same job for the next forty years, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. especially as they raise the retirement age all the time. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed, yeah, we could we could go into a little. Bit of, uh... Uh, a, a political stance there but uh, no 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 it's true yeah yeah so you know it is a career you know a career you know you are working for the majority of your life within a, well most of us I'm so some people are maybe lucky enough not to do that but um in terms of um I suppose you know getting the most out of life and work or it's a career um itself I mean I mean what what do, you, what do you get out of your job then, Susie? I mean, uh, you know, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit there, but you know, what what do you really enjoy about your, about the work you do? I really enjoy the people within the company, and um, it's really important for me to know all of them. So I always try and meet them when they come in. Obviously, I'm probably mostly on Zoom or Teams, um, but get out of sight as well. So it's really important as an MD, I think, to be visible. And not just sit, you know, strategizing from your chair. <laughs> um, but I really enjoy the people. Um, but more than that, I think, so our vision to rewild half the planet, I think it was 2013 when we had a meeting and Kane introduced the concept of rewilding. And probably 80% of the company were like, 
that sounds great, but actually how how does that apply to me? I fast forward 10 years, because it's only 10 years, and everyone within our business knows what part they play in the rewilding journey that we're on, which is a huge cultural shift, I think. Yeah, amazing. Um, so I really enjoy the fact that we're all on, you know, we're going in the same direction. Nobody's sort of pulling back. There used to be people in the business you felt didn't quite get it, and that would slow things down. So sometimes I think you have to think about your journey not being too fast because you go forward and then you need to consolidate and then you go forward again and you need to consolidate and to ensure that, you know, you're not just expanding beyond the realms of what's possible. But yeah, it's exciting times. And I love the fact that and within our business, I think anyone can come up with a great idea and we'll look at it and go, yeah, that's good. And that's the beauty of having an innovation team now, I think looking at new service areas that are exciting that we didn't think were possible before. Right, okay. Uh, and uh, in terms of, I suppose, it, it, you know, getting in touch with yourself, in to, you know, as in you know, connecting with you uh, at all, where's the best place to do that? Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. Probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, in terms of, um, um, I'll say, you, finding out more about these internships, where should people go to find out more about those? So we've got them all on our website, www.ecosulis.co.uk. Um, and our recruitment guy is Josh. Um, so he will be managing all of that. But yeah, that all the internships are listed out there. And we've already had quite a lot of applications. So I think we're closing end of next week. So we'd so be really interested to hear from anyone who's who's up for a challenge. Ah, uh, well, uh, for those who are listening now, so this is going to go out in. Um, I'm afraid it's going to go back out in. Uh, um, where will we now? Yeah, yeah, May. So they may have just oh, no. missed the deadline, I'm afraid. Um, so well, they can always send a CV in. Indeed, indeed, yeah. So you take uh, speculative CD, CVs. Then. We do all the yeah. time because yeah. you never know what opportunities are going to present themselves. So I think mm-hmm. we're constantly sort of looking for people, and we we have a churn of you know a talent pool that we want to keep and develop and keep in touch because we might receive a, a whole bunch of CVs and and the job that we're planning to start moves always forward and never starts the date is going to say it's going to start. So we work really hard to kind of keep those people engaged. And it might be that we can offer placements. So that was one of the other things I was going to mention, actually, placements mm-hmm. and apprenticeships as well, which we've done in the past. Okay, great. Fantastic. Um, Susie, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. Uh, I've really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed our time together, and it's gone by so quickly. But uh, just want to say, uh, Susie Cross, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Ecology Academy podcast. Thanks, Richard. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player, as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you.